brain typeface needs to feel like the voice of a person. Whenever you're in the middle of the street and you hear this voice, maybe you cannot hear what this person is saying because this person is behind you, but you can recognize that person because just from the sound of the voice. And uh, this is a very important thing because a brain is an organism. It's an organism that is composed by hundreds of elements. Logos, copywriting, photography, colors, and of course, typography. You are listening to One More Question, a podcast by the people of Nice Work. One of the things we often catch ourselves saying is, can we ask you one more question? This podcast is all about sharing that, the best conversations we've had with significant brand builders, experts, and communicators. The people that we've encountered as we go about our work of making people care by creating impactful brands. Season three is focused on unpacking the topic of branding. We talk to people who design brands, own brands, build brands, and even those who hire for brands. We explore what brands look like and how they behave across a wide spectrum. From world-renowned brands with massive budgets like Spotify to companies that are making big waves on small budgets. If you're looking for insights on the best ways to invest in and build your brand, this is the season for you. I'm your host, Ross Drakes. Hello. Today on the podcast, I'm talking to Matteo Bologna. Matteo is an Italian who moved to New York City for the typography. He is also the founder and creative director of the New York-based branding studio, Muka. He's a former board member of IGEA New York and the President Emeritus of the Type Directors Club. Through his focused but fun-loving approach, he's earned a strong client partnership in many industries, including Sephora, Barnes & Noble, Target, WeWork, Whole Foods, and the legendary Balthazar in New York City. In today's episode, we talk about the explosion of custom typography happening right now, why using Helvetica is like trying to own Brad Pitt's voice, and how Apple used type to build a unique positioning in the 90s. And finally, we explore the power of visual repetition in building your brand. Enjoy. Matteo, thank you so much for coming on the podcast with me. I, I really appreciate your time and your energy. Thank you very much for that wonderful introduction that you just made that actually you didn't because <laughs> probably you're going to do it after we finish to register to record this but yes i'm sure it's gonna it was a fantastic introduction that's gonna be fantastic yeah when we first had our call i asked you um like what do you think about branding and you had quite an interesting response to that question what do you what do you think about brands and branding i think it's Every day, uh, the answer cha changes, probably. But uh, in general, I kind of believe that branding helps a guest, a consumer, a user, a person to conquer the, fe the fear of making a choice. I think that's the main thing. And our job is to help them to feel comfortable with the choices that they're making. Uh, the choice of 
a product, a food, a button to click is kind of like our job to make sure that it's we are facilitating this interaction with our audience or our clients' audiences. I like that. So the job of the brand is to make people feel okay with the choices that they've made. Yeah, we are we are terrified of we we are we are making so many choices every day. There's it's impossible to be deliberate. We believe that we are in charge of the choosing the making the right decision. And uh, sometimes we we are not because there's people like you and me that are helping us to make certain decisions because we want to, I don't know, belong to a certain tribe because we want to feel sure that the decision that we make is the right. And the right decision is the decision that makes us feel comfortable. So, so, I mean, this is the world that you choose to work in. Like, why? What, what was it about making people feel comfortable with their choices that, that got you into choosing to be a, a brand builder? I think it has to do with uh, the fact that I come from Italy. Let's say Italy from the 70s and 80s. I'm an old man. Uh, you should say no. You look very good for being an old man. Please. I mean, you look you look beautiful. It's, I would say not a day over thirty five. If if you want my honest opinion. Thank you very much. I'm thirty four, by the way. <laughs> uh, the reason why I was interested in in branding, and mostly is, was because I thought that being an Italian living in Italy in the 70s and the 80s and seeing how dysfunctional the way society is. And uh, um, I needed to figure out a way to see how the world could be better. And my only way to make it better as a graphic designer is to figure out a way to convey information in a easy way, easier way, in a better way, and sometimes in a way that is not just functional, because functional should be like like the basic for any way for our job, but also try to add some emotion to it. And uh, I think uh, that's you know what we try to do for our projects making sure that our clients are able to convey their whatever they need to convey to their customers and do it in a way that is let's say a little bit soulful i think that's such a such an important point and it's something we spend a lot of time about like we always try and put intention around what do you want people to feel like if you want them to care about something like what is that feeling what is the thing that you want them to have because i think we live in a time where performance marketing and facebook and google and 
clicks and all of these things have become, you know, in the kind of head of people who are building brands and who are marketing and selling products, it's become so important. And I think an element of that old storytelling, soulfulness, humanness of connecting to people sometimes gets overlooked. And, you know, it's all about just improving the metrics slightly, but I'm not sure if that's a long term play. It's not a long game that you, you, playing there it's, it's definitely a almost like an arms race it's definitely good if you're there just to make money and not building a brand if you start ignoring your users your audience and consider them like um, uh, of course we need to i don't i don't have the word right now damn it and consider them uh merchandise so i mean you've you've chosen a very specific sort of feel to to specialize in um which is one of the reasons we sort of chatting today and i think it's it's interesting because we've done 40 odd episodes of this podcast and we've never really focused in on typography which is i think ultimately one of the the key building blocks in the visual component of of any kind of brand. Can you talk about, you know, your work with type? Why, like, why did you choose typography to sort of specialize in? And it, you know, you sort of when when you look look you up on the the internet, you're not labeled as a designer. You're labeled as a typographer, which is an interesting sort of distinction. Um, yet, I think people put them in the same box. Yes, uh, I think the main reason, I don't know if it was really a, you know, a stra strategic decision. It ended up being a strategic uh, decision for our business. It just started with, you know, with curiosity and love for lettering, letters, understanding how they were made and uh and understanding how important those letters were i didn't study graphic design i studied let's say i went to architecture school i didn't really studied it because uh, when i was in my 20s early 20s I was enrolled in architecture school and at the same time I was working as an illustrator for magazines. And because I was a young kid and uh, I was delivering my illustrations by hand to these art directors in the magazine, often at the last minute on Friday night when they needed to close the magazine, they would ask me to help them to finish the magazine. And uh, I didn't know anything about graphic design, so I just needed to help them to cut lines of type and glue them on their layouts. And uh, I realized two things while doing that, that it was very interesting to be able to create these layouts on paper and then seeing them printed three days later and that I fucking hated 
glue and scissors and exacto <laughs> knives. My fingers in particular didn't like the exacto knife. So and also I got I remember getting this there was this art director that was taking me under his wings and I don't know if because he liked the, the stuff that I did, that I was doing, or because he trusted me, or because he had absolutely no understanding that I was shit at graphic design. <laughs> and uh, he, I remember he gave me this layout that he sketched of this spread. It was an article about coffee, and I had to write the word caffè in Italian, C-A-F-F-E with an accent on the E, in Bodoni style which I didn't really know what it was, but he, sent, he showed me a few examples of this font, which probably at the time was called character in Italy. Um, I think the word font started to be used uh, after we started having computers. So I made this mechanical, and I did it with French curves, rulers, rapidograph, which is this pen that we used to use with ink, super precise, that it was used also for doing architectural drawings, and uh, ink. The letters were big. They were like, I don't know, nine inches tall. And it was a, the equivalent of a war zone, the mechanical that they made. There were holes in this. You, you were doing these mechanicals on hard cardboards, cardboards, and I would just, you know, scrape the mistakes with a blade or using whiteout. So there were these holes by me scraping the, the board and these mountains by adding whiteout. It was horrible and a really painful experience and i was a real shit i didn't know how to do this there were smudges everywhere i feel so ashamed about that thing and that grueling and traumatic experience pushed me to say what the fuck are we doing this stuff by hand there's computers, computers are coming, are happening. So I started to, to see if there was a way not to do this stuff by hand anymore. And uh, being Italian, being a little bit backwards, there were some information coming from abroad that were about, yeah, you can do graphics with computers. Of course, I didn't speak any English at the time, so those kind of information were coming through magazines or, or books and images from those uh, articles. There was no internet, by the way. There was a world in which information was communicated through magazines and books before the internet and television. 
And anyway, so I started to look for a computer to buy. And uh, at the time, computers were super expensive. And also, I didn't know that it was not clear what kind of computer to buy. Uh, there were a lot of workstations that were used for this thing called computer graphics. Uh, and uh, workstations that were like the equivalent of spending $200,000 nowadays. And uh, the cheapest ones were like $50,000, but they were doing only one thing, the equivalent of buying a workstation that will do the job that one app would do in your phone, and badly. So I started to look for, uh, for some computer to buy, and I was uh, even planning to, to buy this computer with some friends because they were so expensive and doing it, using it and sharing it. Hmm. I would work in the morning, my friend would work in the afternoon. Anyway, thank goodness it didn't happen because I was making enough money as, a, as an illustrator and I was able to buy an Apple computer, a Mac uh, 2X with a fantastic 13 inches monitor. And uh, I didn't speak English and I never used a computer before. And after a few weeks, a friend of mine who was giving me software, of course, all illegal, gave me this software called Photographer, which allowed me to design fonts, which I didn't know it was even possible. And so I started designing fonts and uh, being more and more interested in, in, the, in, the, in the subject trying to read books that mostly were in English and impossible to find. I mean, now it's incredible. You can go on the internet and find anything about, you can learn to be an amazing type designer just by using the internet. You don't need even, you don't even need to talk to a human or a teacher. So I slowly learned how to, Build fonts, making a really huge shitload of mistakes. I feel that makes me feel really ashamed about myself. Are these fonts still available today? Can people find them if they go and scratch around the internet? Uh, I, if they find one, I'll kill them. No, they're <laughs> mostly they're, they're mostly in in my hard drive, and it's. Kind of like I'm ashamed to open that folder because it's like, yeah, it's like watching a snuff movie. <laughs> but anyway, so I learned the basics and I actually didn't really learn how to design a font up until probably 15 years later when I started working with really talented type designers. I realized that I could, at a certain point, just be the creative director of font and have someone else who's been doing that, who has been studying that, who has been, who's a practitioner doing it for me, finishing the font for me. 
So, and, uh, so this is how it started. And, uh, and then after having someone else finishing my fonts, I started to do it myself again. But I think the difference between me and a type designer is that I run a branding company while a type designer spends 12 hours a day designing a font. So I know how to do it. I know how to build it. I know all the ins and outs. I know how to, what I'm doing wrong. Let's, let's say, let's say I can, I know what I'm doing wrong and I know how to talk with a specialist and make sure that the font is done properly. Sometimes I finish fonts all on my own, but it takes me, if it to a normal type designer takes, I don't know, months to do it, it takes me years. <laughs> and then by the year, by the time it's finished, the technology is changing. So, so you need to update it. Yes, I need to update it. Now, let me ask you this. It seems like we are in this... I would say we're in a heyday of typography because there's a lot of brands kind of coming out with new typefaces and we've sort of been through this blandification, if you will, of of fonts. And now it seems like we've almost gone in the opposite direction and we're seeing quite crazy, crazy fonts sort of coming out. Um, it, it's But it's interesting to me because I think some people don't know how to approach this. So if someone was approaching this to they're building a brand and they're trying to find this signature for their company, what are the things you think they should be looking for? You know, because I think often they lean on designers and some designers have no resources. So they end up just downloading fonts from free font sites or stealing fonts, you know, but kind of accessing this feels feels like there's a lot of it happening, but it's not necessarily easily accessible. So how would you sort of guide someone into that, that process? I would, uh, first of all, make sure that the font that is chosen is chosen following a, the brand strategy of that company that you're working for. So making sure that the, the font is part of the whole brand organism. So if your, if your brand is a brand that it's about, I don't know, it's a funeral home, you have to make sure that, and it's a funeral home that is about making, talking about death in a positive way, you need to make sure that you have a typeface that it's used by the brand in, I don't know, I don't know why I came out with this idea, but anyway, <laughs> by a, in a way that the font is perfectly connected to the message that this brand needs to, to do. So making sure that is memorable. So when my, my belief is that a, a typeface, a brand typeface, needs to feel like the voice of a person. Whenever you're in the middle of the street and you hear this voice, maybe you cannot hear what this person is saying because this person is behind you, but you can recognize 
that person? Because just from the sound of the voice. And uh, this is a very important thing because a brain is an organism. It's an organism that is composed by hundreds of elements. Logos, copywriting, photography, colors, and of course, typography. Because if you talk to your audience, and talking to your audience, it doesn't need to be a copy line. could just be the type inside a button. So that, uh, that uh, element of recognition is very important. So making sure that the font is part of your strategy of telling the story is key. I cannot fucking stand companies that are using Helvetica or Futura or generic fonts in their branding because they're spending certain even big companies spend millions of dollars in their fucking brand and why can't they spend a little bit more money to make sure that they have a font that is recognizable it would save them millions just to have a font that is recognizable because they don't even have to say anything they just have to put type on a page and people would immediately recognize the brand without even before the brand start saying anything with their copy uh, the perfect example and actually that was one of the uh, going back to your original question your first question the reason why i feel that type is such an important part of branding is because of course when i bought my first computer it was an apple computer and at the time they were using itc garamond which is a version that was customized for apple and it was kind of condensed it was a cool font at the time a shitty font after a few years uh, that now is ridiculed by everyone but i'm Unfortunately, I'm so old that I'm sure that in three years it's going to be cool again. And so I'm going to relieve this thing. The font is going to be cool after 30 years. And all the young kids are going, actually, they're actually doing right now. It's happening a lot right now that all the ITC fonts from the 80s are back in fashion or that style. So for me, it's kind of like, yeah, I've been there. Okay, cool. <laughs> but anyway, looking at this font from Apple, it was amazing how they were good at communicating the brand. White background, photograph of a computer or just one object on a white background, and this condensed typeface, serif typeface that has nothing to do with a computer. That's the other thing. It was totally part of the brand. Choosing a serif typeface instead of a font that looks like a robot from mm. the future was such a revolutionary thing and was part of the, of the spirit of the brand. We are here to 
challenge the idea of a computer as a machine. The computer helps you to do your daily task in a fun and human way. We're not here to help you to put numbers and make calculations. We are helping you to be creative. And what's more creative than a typeface that doesn't look made by a robot? A sans-serif, a serif typeface. And uh, all the communication was made with this font, which, again, now go back to the link of linking back to your last question. That font is connected to the brand. It was so, the brand was so, they had such a clear vision. Mm. that choosing the font, a font like that made total sense. They're doing computers and they're called Apple, which has nothing to do with computers. They're not called micro something or techno something else. They're called Apple. They're not called something that says anything about circuits. And then they decide to make to choose a font that it's in total re- resonance with the font, with the, sorry, with the, with the brand. I mean, I love this idea. Like what's, what I'm hearing you say is that, that the typeface comes like the voice of the brand, which makes sense that you can hear a friend of yours in the background and know they're there and know who it is. Or if you hear Brad Pitt, you know it's Brad Pitt because you've kind of heard his voice. And I think it is, you get that visual sense when you move past something, you've got color, you've got icons, you've got visuals, but you can also kind of really own a specific voice, your own tone of voice. And I like, I like the example where you're saying that, the kind of the choice of that voice can also speak volumes about the strategy of the business, about the positioning of the business, about what you stand for, you know, what you kind of hear in the world to, to do, which I think is very exciting. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, again, to all the people who's listening to this design podcast, please stop using Helvetica. Because Helvetica is not good for your clients or Futura. But I mean, Futura is a bit better. So you prefer, you prefer, so if you're going to choose Helvetica last, Futura first. You know, it's, it seems like this, there's this explosion of typography. And there's a lot of really great type foundries making really beautiful work. And I mean, I think one of the things that I can say is that if you are going down this route of building a brand, you can acquire typefaces for for not a lot of money. For a few hundred dollars, you can you can purchase something beautiful. You don't have to design it yourself. Like, what do you think has led to this proliferation of of typography, um, you know, in around the world? It's um, actually amazing. There's so many type designers right now, and they're all excellent. With the advent advent of personal computer computing in the nineties and softwares software like mm, Photographer, the software that I was mentioning before, it was very easy to build typefaces. And a lot of people started designing typefaces in their bedrooms 
which was a big revolution because typefaces before were only produced by manuf font manufacturers and sold to people who bought workstations. And uh, the fonts were coming with the workstation and the cost of a new font would cost, would be like ridicul ridiculously high. And then in the 90s, the prices went down and the offer increased. Still, it was still, it was still easier at the time to um, have to design. Sorry, at the time it was still easier to to think about the fact that maybe a brand could have their own typeface because the offer was not as big as right now. So in a certain way, I preach that everyone should have their own custom typeface because you know you don't want to have the voice of Brad Pitt. You want to have your own voice. I mean, I would like to have his physique and his money. Um, definitely not his uh, love life issues. <laughs> but I would, I think, now nowadays there's so many typefaces and the quality is pretty high that of course if you don't have a big but if you don't have a budget you can choose a typeface and make that typeface be the voice of your brand but again you're still borrowing something that then i can borrow and your company and my company will have the same voice the same sound of course, I will speak slightly different from you and uh, I will be more colorful and maybe I will use a different kind of photography. So nowadays, I think people can, if they're smart, they can choose font wisely if they fit with their brand strategy. Again, very important. Though it's always better to have a font that you can own and use for for your brand in a way that is really indistinguishable. The fact that there are so many type designers right now, it's incredible and it's fantastic. And it's mostly due to the fact that if, in, in, if you think about it, there were no real type design schools with certificates until probably the end of the 90s and now there's i don't know many schools with where that when you finish these these courses you live with a type designer's diploma which in a certain way it doesn't really mean anything except for the fact that you went to a school where the teachers are amazing type designers that may even have designed more typefaces than Giambattista Bodoni designed. And they did it in five, 10 years because of the, the technology, it's so amazing. The knowledge that is shared, and this is the beautiful thing about type designer, they are very, very generous with their sharing of their information. There's uh, 
an incredible evolution in the in the world of type thanks to different surfaces where the type now goes you know from the mo from monitors to uh, i don't know you know paper of course and cdc um, what do you call CNCs. it cncs cncs sorry cncs yeah. yeah so it's it's fantastic and the schools are amazing i'm always I always feel ashamed when I see a student uh, finishing this school after one year or two years and their work, it's incredible. And it took me 15 years to get to their level in one year, mm. just because I didn't have good teachers and they have the possibility to find good teachers. Actually realized last week, I was teaching, and this is actually part of my plug. I don't have a book. I don't have a TED Talk. I don't have a strip club show, but that's in the making. Okay. Um, and uh, what I do, I give these seminars, these two days um, classes for designers. It's called type design for non-type designers. And it's really fun. I, I enjoy it, which means that I'm able to give this kind of energy to the students. And uh, I teach designers that have never designed a typeface how to do it. I tell them the dirty secrets and uh, explain what is the process, from the aesthetic to the technical point of view, just so that they know how they can continue if they want to become type designers or, or how to deal with type designers and how to order typefaces or how to choose typefaces or how to look at the quality of a typeface. And uh, so I, I was giving this class last week with um, another instructor, his name is Reiner Schauelbauer. I never know how to pronounce his last name. He's one of my best friends and he's one of the creators of the software Glyphs, which is a, the software that we use to design fonts. And uh, he's going to kill me when he listens and make sure that nobody will tell him that he's been quoted in this. Uh, podcast uh, because I miss I mangled his name and anyway some student asked me if I knew anyone who would give private lessons and I told her that I didn't know anyone then I asked after the class and actually there's a couple of people here in Brooklyn that are giving private type lessons, kind of like a musician will give guitar classes. So it's gone all the way from no one teaching to private in-home classes in, in your lifetime. It's, it's ridiculous. I would have loved to have this. It was impossible when I was a kid. It's beautiful. So now, now let me ask you, you know, we're almost, almost out of time. Um, 
one of the things that sort of saddens me um, is when you see brands, especially like heritage brands, people like Balenciaga kind of going with the trend and removing a, an, a piece of typography that stood for 60 years, 70 years and replacing it with a sort of characterless, you know, kind of thing. And then they, they shrouded in this idea of being digital friendly and kind of modernizing themselves, but then they sort of falling in line with everybody else. Um, but I, I guess my question is not about that. It's, it's, what do you, what do you say to somebody who's in the process of, of rebranding their company or about to do a brand and they've kind of seen all of these iconic brands one after the other kind of follow this trend there's this pressure to make that same choice to just go and get a font like a gotham or whatever and typeset your thing and now i'm kind of done i've fallen in line with everyone what is your counter argument to this sort of blandification that's happening in so many of these big brands um for for people who might not necessarily understand the nuance of typography yeah, I would tell them not to be a wanker like those people. <laughs> I mean, you, your job is to, if you're, I think that has to do with, again, it goes back to the spirit of the brand. Mm. If uh, you are really a brand that has, that is creating culture, that, a brand that believes in creating messages, not reverberating other people's ideas then your job is to make sure that your typography like your copywriting like your photography is generated by you i mean not looking at your competitors and say hey if they do it we should do it of course you need to have educated people in the C-suite or people that are understanding the power of this. Sometimes uh, I'm able to make them understand the value of this. Sometimes we don't. But when we do, the, the results are incredible incredible because it it's actually a amazing way to to save money in advertising you can have just a copy line with your own typeface and if you do it constantly also that's another very important you cannot just say if i start doing my rebranding right now and I don't have a big uh, advertising budget, people are going to start knowing my company in 10 years because I keep repeating the same message, the, the message with the same typeface. And it's a matter of being constant and not losing sight of the long term objective which is to make sure that people understand who we are and of course instead if you're a big company who can spend uh, half a billion dollar in advertising the moment that you start communicating with your typeface your own typeface 
in five months, people automatically will recognize you from the typography. And if you spend, I don't know, $250, sorry, $250,000 for a photo campaign that gets used for one season, and then you end up spending the same amount for a font that is your your own, that you can control and own, that you use for 20 years, the cost is negligible completely. So let's order more fonts. I mean, as you were saying that, I was thinking of, you know, one of the most iconic pieces of typography from from when I was young was Absolute Vodka, where they just put that one piece of type and that silhouette of that bottle, and they've just consistently kept it like that forever, that you don't even, you can be browsing through that magazine and it'll jump out at you in in half a second. Yeah, but then there is the new guy who comes in and is paid to perform, and uh, his ego, and usually it's a guy, probably Israeli woman, <laughs> um, is usually a guy who's hired to bring the company to a new levels. And uh, he needs to show that he knows how to do things and it changes everything. So it's very difficult to, to, to maintain the, what's good about a brand or making sure sometimes, I mean, the font of absolute vodka is like kind of like a shitty Futura bolt condensed. Mm. It's not a great font. Nevertheless, it doesn't fucking matter. It's the use that has been done and the fact that you tell me about Absolute Vodka and I have immediately the image of that word mm. because repetition is important and not being afraid of, sorry, of not being afraid of changing um and uh yes i think that's probably this the thing what uh, i think there's lots to to think about there i mean the thing that i'm taking away that i really love is is having your own voice and i think that is such a important thing in a time like this where there's sort of more access and better tools and all these things are amazing. But what it means is that there's so many more other people out there trying the same thing, trying to steal that same piece. And I think a, a gap that you've identified in my head for me is that having your own distinct voice is something that can sort of visually differentiate you. And if you can visually differentiate yourself, then ultimately you can can get people you know you can steal a little bit of that attention span which will ultimately allow you to build your brand to get your message out there to speak to people which um, i really enjoy yeah and i hope uh, in a world where all the ceos will understand the importance of this little thing that it's actually another important thing that i want to add is not only for their customers it's also mm. internally because you use this typography also for your own co internal communication. And it's a way to really 
unify the brand inside and communicating it communicate the brand clearly outside so mm. when you work across you know the wall of we versus them this is a really great way to to use your power of communication internally and externally well Matteo thank you so much for your time and for your energy and for sharing I really appreciate that for anyone who listened all the way to the end we'll put the links to to his course and all of his wonderful work in the show notes but thank you so much for joining us I really appreciate your time oh thank you very much and I hope to see you in South Africa soon at some point when they eventually allow us to travel or allow you to travel again we will we will hang out absolutely thank you very much and we'll catch everyone in the next one bye 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 Thanks for listening. We believe that sharing knowledge is an obligation. So if you know someone who's building a brand or needs some inspiration for their brand, please share this podcast with them. This is our third season, and we'd be grateful if you'd hit that subscribe button so you're the first one to know when a new episode comes out. Or even better, leave us a review and tell the world how much you enjoy listening. This really helps. One more question is brought to you by the people at NiceWork. NiceWork is a purpose-driven company helping people who want to make a dent in the world by building brands that people give a shit about. We're based in Johannesburg, South Africa and serve companies around the world. If you'd like to know more, partner with us or make a suggestion, reach out at www.nicework.co.za. And if you're one of those really old school people, send us a letter and we'll make you a mixtape.